Podcast. I am Christian Shabu. I am George Black. And we are back. We back. Wait, welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. You remember that? When Mace came back? I just said that was when Mace came back. <laughs> yeah, out of nowhere. That song was so good. <laughs> it was. It was. He went to be a preacher. And then out of nowhere, he came back to the rap game. And you just heard our brand new intro to the podcast, made courtesy of Mike McGinley Music. It is fire. I do not dance, and yet when I heard that, I was dancing. That should say enough. That's that's a lot. We are officially back, and we are going to have months worth of amazing content, both here on the podcast, also through our social media channels. So if you like what you hear and what you're experiencing with Men Up, Give us that five-star rating. And if it's not five stars, tell us why not. Tell us what we can do better or what parts of the conversation you want us to engage with because we are here to redefine what it means to be a man so that all people can engage with that powerfully. Yeah, man, we've been gone for a little bit, but we've been gone so that we can put our nose to the grind and really do some powerful work. And we have definitely been doing some really powerful work, uh, been uh, catching some momentum with men up, some people who have been reaching out to us and really seeing the value of this work and wanting us to come through, do workshops, engage with their students. Um, we've got partnerships here in New Haven, partnerships in Madison, Connecticut, uh, workshops being done in, in New York and, and, and other parts of the country, in Boston, Mass. In colleges, uh, in churches, in community groups, all over the place. So really exciting time for us. Yeah, yeah, and really appreciative to all the people who have connected with this message and really know and understand the importance of what it means for us in this time to redefine manhood and masculinity. We really appreciate y'all. So just so you know, with this relaunch, with the podcast, with all of our content creation, we're not just getting back into the swing of things. We are leveling up. Mm -hmm. So what you can expect in the next couple episodes and throughout the rest of our year here with Men Up Podcast is more interviews, more experts on this show, also some brand new segments. You're actually going to hear one of those new segments coming up real soon. So George, what's been a highlight for you over the last couple months since we've been away? So I'll share one programmatic and one just great life highlight. Uh, programmatically, we are in the process of a four-week kind of series at a church in Madison, Connecticut. Um, working with some middle school students, which I, that, that's my heart, middle school students, and doing some, some new material, really actually building custom material to engage with the, the young people at this church in Madison. And it's been really exciting to watch them uh, really engage, really get excited about it. Uh, we had four students the first time. It kind of doubled in size the next week uh, because the boys really saw themselves in the work of redefining manhood and masculinity. So that's been really great. Uh, so far as personal, my brother got married. Hey, hey shout out Jeremy. And uh, he definitely sang a Jamie Foxx song to his wife as part of his vows. So, you know, uh, definitely got to step up the game. Uh, my brother is an amazing singer. So it was great to watch. Great to see. He had the entire uh, congregation going crazy. Sounds like a great couple months. I'll say back to the workshops in Madison that we've been doing. What's been really exciting, I think, there is we had yet to do work with 
uh, guys that young. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's been interesting for us, it's been challenging and in a great way for us to figure out how do we make this work of what it means to be a man even more accessible to younger guys, right? Because, because it's never too early to start that conversation yeah. right? and to start planting those seeds. So it's been really exciting to do that work. Definitely. And also, your brother showing off a little bit in the best ways possible. Showing off. But you know, I support that. If you're gonna show up, why not show up? Show up, right? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> he did a great job, man. He really did. I think what's been really cool for me with Men Up has been just the different spaces we've been able to move into. Not just the schools that we've typically been partnering with, but also finding partnerships in unique places with partners in Tennessee and partnering up with colleges. That that's just been really interesting to see that there are institutions, community groups, others that are really desiring to be engaged powerfully in this conversation about redefining manhood so that it's empowering for all people, right? And, and to actually start to unravel the conversations of toxic masculinity beyond saying this thing's toxic, that thing's toxic, but really having a conversation and, and understanding how we move forward powerfully. It's been really exciting to see that. We have a leadership team who has built out and has helped us brainstorm really powerful content. Uh, We're currently building out a workshop about security and specifically financial security. And that was the result of them going out and doing research and having interviews and touching base with people who they are on the ground with, people who who are active in their lives and asking them uh, what, what their thoughts are. And from there watching them create and brainstorm around uh, what people need and build programming around that has actually been really, really exciting. And we have a workshop coming up in June that, that is going to be the manifestation of all that work, all their work, all their, their brain power. I'm super excited about that. Yeah, more to come about that workshop in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. But we have got some new segments coming up here with the Men Up podcast. So like we said at the start, we are going to be featuring more interviews, special guests from all over the place, whether it is music, entertainment, politics, community oriented work we are going to have a lot of guests a lot of people in our network because we have some great role models some powerful thinkers and people in our networks and so we want to be highlighting those people that are not just supporting our work here with men up but also pushing all of us forward in their own respective fields and journeys so we're going to be featuring them and one of the ways we're going to be featuring them is a segment we have got called the scenic route and this is going to be an opportunity where every once in a while whether it's with one of our friends or people we've just collaborated with we get in the car and we turn the mics on and we just have some really in-depth conversations about our relationships about where we're heading in life and really understand what it means to be a role model and so we've got a very special guest coming up local entrepreneur and good friend of the pod daryl nurse this is a segment that is born out of my love for car rides and the conversation that happens in car rides that sometimes goes all over the place just like the open road otherwise has really distinct places you're trying to get to but always has really profound insights and development of relationships so we're calling this the scenic route and i have got here entrepreneur and one of my best friends for the last 18 years Jesus, it's been that long. owner founder of chip in a bottle daryl nurse what's up yeah so Daryl, we have been on the highway back and forth now uh, to Long Island from New Haven, and 
it has been for potential partnership for your business, Chip in a Bottle. So could you tell the people a little bit about Chip in a Bottle? So Chip in a Bottle is a chocolate confectionery that is based on the concept of making fresh, small batch chocolate from bean to bar and making individualized truffles, macarons, gelato, cheesecakes, mostly any confection you can think of. You literally create your own chocolate from bean to bar. It's kind of a cool thing. Like, you know, a lot of places are doing um, chocolates from, you know, just they, they go and they buy their own bars from other companies and whatnot. But it's cool to take that that cacao nib and turn it into something pure, like chocolate. You know, just using fresh ingredients or using ingredients from all over the world and turning it into something that's extraordinary. It's kind of cool. That's really cool. So we'll get a little bit more into chipping a bottle later on, uh, but I want to throw it back to when you and I first met each other. 18 years ago, we met at Quinnipiac University, the summer before we entered undergrad. So we're talking summer 2001. Back in the day, Quinnipiac would send out these packets that would tell you a little bit about the bio of the person that, or the people that you were gonna be rooming with, right? And at Quinnipiac, we lived in quads our first year, so the three other people. And I remember having the list there and seeing your name and gave me the number. And then also had like a few facts about the person, right? And I remember uh, one of the facts for you was that you were a football player, right? That you had played football for much of your experience. And so in my mind, I had already started to develop a, a picture of who you were, right? And I imagined making that phone call and just hearing this like really tough guy on the other end, this guy that just like was really macho and, and just all of those sort of stereotypes that we have of football players traditionally. And I remember that first call very vividly. One, it was a little bit awkward because teenage guys calling each other <laughs> just in general is an awkward situation, uh, or at least we made it awkward. But also you were just such a mild manner and at the time soft-spoken over the phone guy. And, and that's always been my perception of you is like you are somebody who has always been very even keel, who doesn't get incredibly uh, boisterous about what you do and who you are, uh, but it's just always really consistent, of course fun, but I just want to start there and just say like you, you have been a consistent source and force in my life for 18 years. Thanks. That's the longest uh, relationship I've ever had. <laughs> Same. Legitimately, it's my mom and you that I have seen the most consistently yeah. over 18 years. You know, I, I, I remember that phone call. That phone call was actually kind of interesting because... I wasn't expecting it, and it came out of nowhere. And I was kind of like, uh, who, who, "Who's this guy that's 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 calling me? I don't know why. Why are you calling me?" <laughs> but once I figured it out, I was like, "Okay, well, this is cool." But I'm not really one for um, for conversation. But let's do it. But that was me. I was 17. You know, I don't know much about anything at that point. And I remember getting there because I was actually the first person to get to the campus. I had the choice of picking my my bed first because I had the summer orientation. So I said, you know what? I'm gonna pick the bed next to the window. I remember that. Because I wanna control that window. And you know what? I, ha I had no control of that window. Not, <laughs> not once. The, the window was always open. You did, however, we had lofted beds to create for the maximum amount of space because those rooms are tight. 
and you decided to turn it upside down because did. you didn't want the loft, and rightfully so. Throughout the year, I think each one of us had fallen out of that bed, with the exception of you, because you didn't loft your bed. But you turned it upside down and took over probably about a no, third of the no, room. No, that's not what happened at all. If you if you if you separate and section out the room into fours based on the light that was in the center of the room, I was clearly on my line. You also, just to be clear with the audience out there, at one point our freshman year, one of our hallway mates across the way uh, had a massive fish tank. No, it wasn't massive, it was 10 gallon. That's massive. That's not massive. Uh, fine, it was a 10 gallon fish tank and he did not take care of it at all for a whole semester and so it started to smell pretty bad so so bad that you could smell it out in the hallway and so finally one day you said oh I'll, I'll take it on and and you to your credit rehabbed that thing it looked beautiful it was a pristine fish tank by the time you were done with it and then we had a fish tank in our room taking up more space <laughs> well, it was on my dresser it was on my counter so I mean that's that was in my section it had a nice little um, bubbly sound it helps you to sleep you know it was, I thought it was nice. It made some noise, let's be clear. Yeah. It made some noise, and I it's think like it... It's like a babbling brook. It was, yeah, you you have a very different memory of, of how that fish tank and our space was uh, divided up, but, yeah, but it's okay. It's like looking at a childhood uh, bedroom. You, you see it differently when you're older. That's true. That might be very true. Yep. So one of the things that I think you've always seen differently, right, is my understanding is that coming up in high school, you you were a star football player. I know you're not going to toot your own horn here, but but you were a very successful football player in Long Island, and that is something that you could have pursued college-wise. That could yep. have been your track, and, and you could have been very successful there, and I'm sure even, even gotten some scholarship money and, and allowed for that to pave your way of college and define your college experience. And I think a lot of young men, quite honestly, when, when they think about their next steps after high school, right? It's always in terms of being involved in sports and, and pursuing whether it's football, basketball, any other sport like that. They think about sport as the way that's gonna define their life moving forward. But you actually rejected that. You were successful in a thing, but you had the vision to see beyond just four years, right? But to eight, 16, 30 years, right? So, so talk to us a little bit about why you said no to that path and ultimately how you started to create your own path for yourself. You know, it's interesting when you're 17, actually when you're 14, they start asking you, what are you going to do for the rest of your life? Which I don't find fair because you don't know much about careers. And it just, ironically, I had an injury in high school. So I was able to uh, go to physical therapy and that's how I learned about physical therapy. And from there, I said to myself, you know what, this, this is a good job. Um, you don't have to wear a suit every day. You can wear scrubs. And it doesn't seem that they're working that hard. All right, I can do this, you know. So for me, I kind of was on a fork in a road, basically. Do you go with the football, which is not guaranteed? You don't know what's going to happen. You can assume that you'll make it, but guess what? Every other kid in high school is thinking the same exact thing. So how hard do you have to, 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 to play or how much better do you have to be than anyone else? to get that position, that one position out of a, out of 10,000, you know? Or you can take a tried and true safe route and know that when you graduate, you can get a very good career and be able to support your community. You know, that's what the therapy was. And it, you know what? At the end of the day, I was pretty excited to do it at the time. And it, it taught me a lot. 
so you ended up pursuing physical therapy in undergrad and in graduate degrees as well. Yep. Also going on to get your business degree. Also during our time in undergrad, figuring out a way to uh, buy a house and rent that out and, and create a business that way. And then have your own business for physical therapy and now have chip in a bottle, right? So you have, at least in my perception, always been incredibly entrepreneurial and always had that spirit. So what motivates you? Like what motivates you to keep coming up with these new ventures and, and, and keep doing something new and something that you're really excited you about? Know, I just have this like internal drive to just keep doing more. I feel like, I feel like just always just trying to come up with something and being dynamic. I've always been a cerebral guy. I would say, I, I honestly would just look at statistics and that sounds crazy as a kid, but I would, I would honestly look at statistics and see what was realistic, what would actually get you a good career, what would be safe, secure, and what I can actually handle, as opposed to being a lofty, for lack of better words, and, and just you know going and hoping that things would work out for me, because it doesn't always work out. You know, you got to make sure that what you're doing is going to be beneficial and, and work for you. Because if you don't, you, you find yourself wishing at the end that you did plan better or that you were able to, you know, change your path and whatnot. So I always try to make sure that my path is very well paved before taking it. We're going to make a quick stop. Had to stop someplace to get some snacks. Joe, you made an observation from our snacks. And, and shout out to 7-Eleven and all convenience stores that are the unofficial sponsor of the scenic route here on the Men Up podcast. You made an observation about our snack choices. What, what did you pick as a snack? Uh, some, some barbecue um, wings and um, one spicy one. What's not that bad? Barbecue slash spicy wings that are in that like heating container thing that's in every convenience store that you never know how long it's been there. Yeah, yeah, but it's still good. It's wing. I, on the other hand, got a packet of mixed nuts. And what was the observation you made? It was definitely that I am uh, eating more like a carnivore and you're eating more like a bird. Literally our relationship in action. Yeah. The wings inspired me to think about one of the last times that you and I got wings. It was over a decade ago. No. And it, it was. It really was the last time you and I got wings, or at least that I remember us like actually going out, getting wings, going to a bar, watching some TV, getting wings, beers, all that sort of stuff. It was the night that Barack Obama won the presidency over a decade ago. Yeah. So thinking about yourself over a decade ago, what would you identify has been one of the biggest areas of growth for you as a man? Wow, let's see. That's a, that's, a, that's a big question. I would say how I fit into my surroundings with the people around me, how I, how I basically am able to be, you know, somewhat of a person who is looked, looked up to um, for a younger population. People, people look at me and think, you know, I, wanna, I like being like that guy. You know, he's doing something really good for himself. He's a doctor, therapy business owner things of that nature the fact of being in a position now of trying to be somebody that others can look up to right I, I wasn't thinking I wasn't thinking in those terms I think in my mid-20s yeah I was thinking um, in terms of like I gotta figure out what the fuck I'm doing with my life yeah in your, in your 20s you know 
it's a different game. You're you're still you're getting off the edge of being a teen. You're you're finally able to drink at 21, so you're kind of like you're still living life just a little bit. You can finally rent a car. You know those types of little things they seem unimportant, but it's kind of interesting when you're in your 20s. You're still learning. You know, but in your 30s, I feel like you're done with all that stuff. Yeah, I feel like I've been more intentional with just the way I move in the world, right? Like I look back on my 20s and they were great experiences, absolutely great experiences then, great experiences in my teens. Like I, I like to look at the past as of course there were challenges and things that were hard and, and emotional, but but ultimately like things have been pretty great. Like I like to look back and, and see things clearly, but also fondly. But, but I just feel like I was messing around in my 20s. Like I was, I was trying out different things, wasn't really focused. I would just say grounding myself was definitely my big change between 20s and 30s. It's kind of, you know, setting myself up in a shop in terms of being in New Haven, for example. I was floating all over the place. I was doing travel therapy in New York and Connecticut and upstate. I was all over going to school in upstate. And then finally just coming down to Connecticut and just saying, all right, I'm going to stay here for, for some time. So now we're, we're both settled right in the middle of our 30s. What are you looking forward to in the next five years, either it's personal growth or, or things you're trying to accomplish for when we, we hit 40? I have all my energy in my store right now. So I'm trying to take Chip in a Bottle to be just that local shop in the corner and trying to make it something bigger. So I'm hoping to you know, build a factory space, open up a couple bistros, maybe get in five years, hopefully being able to have those 16 shops in Connecticut like I was um, hoping for and just being able to, you know, give jobs to a lot of families in Connecticut and then maybe even go further than that. Recently, as I've been looking forward for that big vision for myself, because I think that that's an area where I need to grow a lot is really setting a big vision for myself long term. And over the last couple years, you know, I've been in this mindset of I want to peak at 70. Not meaning that I hope my life ends after that, but like I really want to be living in a way that like I don't peak until I'm in my 70s. When I was in my teenage years, you know, I didn't think I'd live much past my mid 40s, late 40s. Like I just couldn't conceive of life like that. While I've been talking about living till 70, peaking at 70, I've never actually envisioned like, well, what does that mean? What does it look like? And so actually over the last couple weeks, I've been starting to really think about like, well, what does it look like at 70? So I'm at the halfway point, right? I'm at 35 now, 35 years from now, I'll hit 70, right? And then working back from 70, going to 50, right? And then going to 40 and then going to 35. And that's been a really clarifying process. I just sort of stumbled upon it. It wasn't like I, I was reading any any goal setting book or, or approaching it with any sort of strategy, at least initially, but, but it just kind of worked out that way. And it's been really clarifying. It's been scary as shit to like think about life at 70 and, and try to think that far in advance, but it's also been really clarifying. That's really, that's really, I've never thought about that. That's interesting. So, so you're 70, you know, you got your, your second hip replacement. Where do you, where do you see yourself? <laughs> what are you, what are you doing at 70? Well, funny enough that you mentioned the hip replacement because my goal is that by 70 and at 70, I am competing in Ironman triathlons. No. Yep. No, it's not that. Sep- what? How? What do you mean how? How, how do you do that? That's, that's I train for it. At 70. Yeah. So I figure by that time, I'll be in a place where I can at least be semi-retired, right? So that's another thing too. Like as much as I look into the future, I never see for myself stopping work 
right? Like I, I want to be working. I don't see retirement as like a, I'm gonna stop working and just travel or, yeah. or take up hobbies. Like I always want to be working. No, you should because one of the, the things with my, my patients I can tell you is once they stop moving, they stop working, they stop having that drive, they don't do much. They wake up, they go to bed, they wake up the next day, they walk to the couch and they sit there, watch television, then they go to bed and it drains you. It actually deteriorates your body since you're not doing as much mobility throughout the day. So retirement's actually um, a very difficult thing to do. You should always stay active. I don't know about Ironmans or anything like that, but. I want to train for Ironmans, yeah. I figure by do that time. you even do them now? No, but that's the point, man. Like to look forward and say, okay, if nothing else, in the next 35 years, I need to get to a point where at 70, I have completed at least one Ironman triathlon. Don't you think you should do that when you're younger, like now? <laughs> I mean, maybe. But also, I mean, there are plenty of folks that into their 60s and 70s compete in those races. Okay, like, all right. Maybe get, they're I not winning the races, but, yeah. but they're competing. And that's, that's my goal. It's never... When I think about Ironmans or triathlons or any sort of like competitive sporting event, it has never been... At least, I shouldn't say never. In, in my adulthood, it has not been that I want to win the thing. It's been I want to compete. Huh. All right. Yeah, I get that. So, but, but it brings up, right? Like, okay, if I've got 35 years, what does that mean for at 50... Where do I need to be at 40? Where do I need to be? And now at 35, right? So like if if 35 years from now, I want to be at least in one Ironman triathlon, it means that I need to up my up my game when it comes to triathlons now and go from the sprint triathlons I've been doing to intermediate ones. Yep. And so like that's, that's what it's allowed for me to clarify. It's also clarified things like when I think about going back to work, right? I think a lot of times we get tripped up for folks that want to continue to work into their 60s, 70s, and 80s. Like They want to meaningfully contribute, but they don't set themselves up to do that, right? We just kind of stay in the track that we've always been in and don't try to innovate or don't try to like plan ahead for like, well, what can I be doing at 40 to set me up to be doing a thing at 70? A lot of people are afraid of risk. They're, a lot, they're, they're afraid that they're going to fail. They're afraid of putting you know, all their money into something and then possibly losing it all. You know, so they stay safe. And those people who are working longer into their into their retirement, you might find that those people can't afford to retire because, you know, they've got bills to pay, taxes, kids in college, whatever the case may be. And it's, it's unfortunate because things are so expensive. How do you live? How do you retire and not have a 401k that's already set up for you? Or maybe your house is underwater from that second mortgage you took out once before. And you never know. So it gets, it gets hard for people and I feel bad because some people would love to retire. Let's say they can't because they can't get their health care or, you know, like I was saying before, they just can't pay for their debt. But what do you do? How do you, how do you fix that? People want to work hard, right? But, but I think that that's actually not the most ideal way for us to approach work and approach our life, right? It shouldn't just be about working hard. It should be yep. about working smart, right? And like Absolutely. working smart also means you're going to be working hard, but like it needs to be whatever you're doing today, ideally should be setting up the thing you're going to do tomorrow and the next day and the next week and the next year and the next decade. Yeah. Right? That means you have to plan 35 years from now. How do you, how do you set that up? Like, all right, you're doing triathlons or whatever the case may be, but what happens when you're 55, 60, and, you're, and your company just says, yeah, we don't need you anymore? What if, what if life interferes with your plan? Yeah, that's real. Yeah, it happens. 
that's absolutely real, yep. right? And there's there's an idea of having a strong idea, having a strong vision for yourself, but also being able to hold it loosely enough where you can adapt. Okay. Right. And I so, get that. And so I think for me, that's my approach at least. Like, I don't know. I don't know how that resonates with you as far as being a business owner now. Where do you see Chip in a bottle, or even if you do see it or not, thirty years from now? Well, you know. In terms of what I just said, actually, against myself, you have to adapt. But not only do you have to adapt, but you have to be the innovator so that others are following you as opposed to you following them. Because if you find yourself following everyone else's trends, then you're just going to be left behind, especially if some new innovative concept comes out and takes you out, you know? So you always have to be on your toes. That way, you can set yourself up to be successful. So, to answer the other question, 30 years, honestly, I'm seeing myself national, if not global, you know? I um, am making my own chocolates that are competing with the likes of, like, Valrona and Caribou and things of that nature. So, I can see myself having my chocolates all the way around the world, even having, you know, some farms or plantations down in the south. And when I say south, I mean, like, southern hemisphere, where you can grow cacao. Nice. And... You know, possibly working with people around the world to bake uh, some of the best chocolate. And that's just one one line of the spectrum. Uh, by 30 years, I can imagine being branched out to so many different things, you know, and not just being stuck on one thing, but instead being able to branch out and do more um, investing and being involved in other companies and um, doing some nonprofit work, you know, for, for advancement in the community and whatnot. So, you know... 30 years is a long time. So I'm not going to ask you, will we still be friends in 30 years? Because nope. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to demand that nope. we are still friends in 30 years. Can't happen. Well, no, it is happening. I will, I will speak that into existence and will it into existence. But where do you see us hanging out in 30 years? Where are we going to be? What are we doing, Daryl? You and I. Let's, you know, you know this let's, let's be realistic. You know, we're not going to be in Paris having tea. Let's, let's be honest. <laughs> what, what I can imagine is... Since we're both so busy doing our respective uh, goals and careers, we'd have to make time. You know, if I'm traveling the world working on cacao plants in, in Costa Rica or something like that, then you got to make the time to, to schedule in and see each other. We're not going to be like living next door to each other. That it may not be exactly how we think it's going to be, but like we'll make that effort, right? Like yeah. even today, like this car ride, like I wasn't imagining like I was going to be driving back and forth to Long Island today. Yeah. But you and I were trying to get together to talk some business stuff with men up and with chipping a bottle and obviously just just continue our friendship and always like check in with each other every couple weeks. It was like, "Oh, this is the opportunity. Like I'm going to make this happen, right?" Like and as a result, we get to record a podcast. So, I want to end with final questions from each other, right? And maybe it's a question that we've never asked one another. Or something we're interested about that over the 18 years we always wanted to follow up and ask this question but haven't yet but I'd love to see like what's the one question we could ask each other huh all right you go first we were at a party in college my senior year you had already graduated because I stayed a little bit extra in school we were at a house party uh, with then uh, a young woman I was dating and there was some sketchy dudes there uh, one of them ended up stealing some stuff and uh, you ended up confronting them after, after we figured out who it was and 
did so in a really powerful way, in a way that I was really proud of you, how you were sticking up for the, the women at the party and also like sticking up for what the tone of the evening was supposed to be. Dude goes off, like he runs down the driveway to this place and then like you go after him because you're like, yo, this is messed up. And I remember that at the time, uh, the cops harassed you a little bit, right? Like you were trying to do good and the cops harassed you. And I remember them coming back, like you came back to the party, they came back too. And like, at first they were like questioning you, like you had done something wrong and it took us a little bit to like convince them otherwise. And that was a really powerful moment for me because, you know, I, I grew up in the Northeast. I grew up in a, you know, incredibly white neighborhood, background, school district. And hear about racism, you know, I had very progressive teachers and, and a school district, but it, it never it never hits home, right? As much as you might study something and learn about it intellectually, it doesn't hit home until you actually like see something in action. And for me, that was one of the first moments I had ever seen like racism so apparently in front of me. And I don't think I ever followed up with you about that moment. Like it was, it was a messed up moment. I don't think I ever followed up with you. And so my question is like, I guess the question is like, what was that moment like for you when you were ultimately trying to do good and you somehow were still being treated like you did something wrong? Hmm. I remember that day. Uh, I remember the situation very clearly. I remember trying to help my friend. And, you know, if you met this girl, she, she couldn't harm a fly. And having people try to take advantage of her, that, that kind of made me upset. So I'm thinking to myself, I could tear this guy's head off. But I didn't. And I remember confronting him you know helping her get her stuff back and then at the end even though I could have fought him and do you know do that normal thing I, just, I let him go you just recognize the unfairness of a situation like that in that you know I could be casted out as the person who would have done something because of my size or for being quote unquote intimidating looking or something of that nature and you just have to be aware and just you know, keep yourself calm and unfortunately you have to be able to articulate to any officer that you're you're not doing anything wrong. You just hope that in that moment you guys can talk it out and figure it out and people will listen to each other. You know, but I will never take that day back and I will not stop doing the right thing because I don't think that people should be harmed or taken advantage of out of a potential fear that uh police officer may see the situation differently you know you still do what's right and you fix it at the end that's inspiring man yeah, thanks. thank you all right what's your question so you've been um you've been going through a lot of stages in your life you know wanting to do acting um coming to now being able to work with the youth what do you feel you're not doing Wally? what are some of your mistakes or your faults in men up or or in high school or future projects you know what i mean like what do you think you can be doing better at that's really interesting that you asked that because this year particularly with men up i mean we're just still really at the beginning of this thing still building it right but we're we're gaining momentum right which feels great right it, it, it feels like we're doing something right we're doing many things right and with my work through the Future Project, seven years, I've been working with young people, 
really since I was 16, but in a very deliberate way within a high school or within a school for a little over a decade. It's been, I've seen so much go right this year and it's been easy, I think, to slip into a space of being like, oh, I know exactly what to do here. Like not put it on autopilot, like I'm um, not putting in a hundred percent of effort, but like I maybe don't need to listen as much as I maybe need to year one, year two, year three to really figure out what are the ways to, to create powerful systems and structures and solutions and collaborate with young people. You know, I, I know what to do here, right? I'm an expert at this point, right? And, and actually there was a, a system I was trying to roll out with my team and I thought I knew the challenge and I thought I knew what the solution was and when I rolled it out to the team of students, the team of 40, you know, they... There were some excuses, right? But far more legitimate concerns and questions and things that frankly I had missed, right? And so I think what, what have I done wrong is that I think sometimes I have not listened as much as I need to. Uh, and that's been a good reminder that even when you think you know the answers, you can always listen a little bit more and hear something a little bit clearer. Until next time, I am Christian Shabu. I'm George Black. We appreciate y'all.